Good afternoon. I'm always like, good morning. The notes always say good morning, but it's never morning by the time we get here, you know, to this point in the service. Um, yeah, so most of you know me already, so I don't really feel like I need to introduce myself. But there, I'm going to cover some common ground that we've heard before. So I'm Dave O, right? Um, I'm a well-adjusted human adult. I embrace adulting. Uh, anybody that's following any of my social media stuff, that's like the only thing I ever post is hashtag adulting. I, I'm a big believer in that adults should be adults and uh, and just embrace that. So there's a funny story about that, uh, which I've, I think I've told before, but um, it's still kind of interesting. I was adopted when I was three months old. I'm South Korean by birth. Um, and I was adopted. My parents uh, raised me in Colorado. And uh, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, but when she did... Uh, I inherited basically everything. And one of the things that I inherited was actually all of the paperwork relating to my adoption. And I was reading through it because I can, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of going through all the, all the pieces of paperwork. One of the documents that I ran across was the home study, my parents' home study regarding their adoption of me. Before actually, the, doc, the date on the documents, all of these things were done before I was born. Um, because, you know, I was three months old when I came over, and that process takes forever, <laughs> essentially. And I'm reading the things, I'm reading the questions, and one of the questions on their home study, and I don't know if this is still a question that comes up on the home study, but uh, one of the things that, that comes up is it said, um, what is your definition, essentially, of a successful adoption or a successful uh, placement or a successful whatever? And on both of my parents' forums is this, is this one answer. A successful adoption is a well-adjusted adult. <laughs> and I literally have no memory of my parents ever saying that to me as a child, ever saying, you're going to be a well-adjusted adult. You're going to be, uh, and that's just a thing that I started saying a couple of years ago, uh, and then to discover that that was their plan. That's, that was the goal. Look, I'm not, I want a child, yes, and we want to adopt a child, but the goal is an adult is somebody that can function and somebody that's mature and able to handle life. Um, and I like to think that maybe I'm doing a pretty good job of that. As a, as a side note, uh, if you're on social media and you're following me, please stop sending me stuff about how you need to take a break from adulting. If you need to take a break from adulting, you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> if it's got you so stressed out and so freaked out that you need to stop, well, then maybe you need to reexamine some other things and not necessarily adulting. I think that being an adult means that you know how to handle those things and not just that you know how to handle them, but you know how to thrive in them. I don't love paying bills, but I know how to thrive paying bills, right, because I know how to take care of my family. And to me, that is a joy. So if you have an issue with being an adult and you don't know how to do it and it's freaking you out and you need to take a break, well, then re-examine what it means to be an adult. Um, so I read a lot also. I don't know if anybody's noticed that, but uh, basically the only things that I ever post are that I'm reading. I'm, I probably read an average of a book every, eh, every three days right now on various subjects relating to various things. I'm, I'm really into neurobiology right now. That's been very interesting for me. Um, but reading and learning um, are activities that I got from my mom. My mom was a, an elementary school librarian, but she was a, a lifetime learner. That's what she would say. And, and that's the thing that she imparted to me from very early on. She would say to me, you're a learner. That's what we do. How do we thrive? We learn. 
And that's what, you're, that's what you do. And my mom was all about learning new things and experiencing new things. When she was 68 and had been through a, uh, uh, um, several rounds, with the first three rounds of cancer, she was 68. And in her recovery, she just got this idea that she really wanted to experience dog sledding. <sighs> and so my mom went dog sledding at 68 years old after recovering from surgery. And um, that one, that's just one of, of hundreds of examples of my mom just saying, I want to try something new. I want to experience something new. I want to learn something new. And I learned from that example um, by watching my mom. Well, that was one of her mantras in life. And she never stopped learning up until the day she passed, ever. She even saw her cancer as a learning experience. How interesting is this? Look at the new fields that are being developed because of this form of cancer. Look at, the, look at the, the different medications that are available. Look at the way that we can manipulate chemicals and, and all of these things and was able to maintain that learning attitude and that positive attitude through that entire experience. And, and she used to tell me how good I was at those same things. And so I get that from my mom. It's something I was meant to do. Uh, additionally, I own several businesses that run across several platforms, and we do some ridiculous things, and, and uh, uh, I don't have time to go into, into all of those. But when it comes to my, to my work, the overarching theme is typically creation. I like creating a thing. Mandy and I actually uh, finally came to this point a couple, of, uh, a couple of years ago where, I mean, I switched jobs probably pretty consistently every two and a half years, just not just jobs, but fields. I would switch from one field to another field to another field because what I was doing is I would enter a field, learn everything I could about it, create something, create a program, build a team, build a, build a business, whatever, and then get bored and move on. And that's just who I am. And to be honest, that's who my dad is. That's who my dad has always been. He's a guy that likes to create something. My dad fills a very interesting niche when it comes to um, authoring. My dad was a writer. Uh, and uh, the, the things that he wrote were actually Western novels. So if you go out and look up Stephen Overholzer, you'll find Western novels all over the place. One of the businesses I'm running is actually republishing his books um, now, which has been an interesting experience. Um, uh, the, the people that fanatically read Western novels are, are very intense about it. It's a very interesting little subculture. Uh, but they, my, my, both my father and my grandfather are famous in that little circle. Which is, which is just fascinating. But that's one of the things my dad was about. He was about creating something new. He was also about new experiences in the same way that my mom was. He, always, he never settled down. He was constantly reading something or learning something or going someplace. My dad's particular bent was more towards uh, learning. He really liked history, and he really liked to talk to people. Um, neither one of my parents ever cared for, for um, parties or anything like that, but they love conversation. They love to absorb. And... Uh, my dad, I actually specifically remember this. He never wrote the book, but he took notes and he learned a ton of stuff about the Navajo Code Talkers from World War II. He took us to the reservation. That was actually a, a, a vacation we took when I was nine, uh, going down and spending time on the Navajo reservation speaking to Code Talkers. And they're just fascinating people, really interesting. But my dad would just uh, love to do those things. He had a passion for it. He had a passion for listening and for learning. And he tells me that I get that from him. 
Um, I'm also, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm a performer. I typically, I speak a lot and I, I play some instruments every now and again. I've been known to sing now and, and on occasion. And I have no problem with that. It's interesting because you look at um, uh, the list of fears, right? You go look it up and it's like, no, people's number one fear is public speaking. And I've, I've never had that. I've never had the, the thing where it's like, oh, man, I got to be up in front of people. Ooh, this is going to freak out. What am I going to do? And I have, and sweating bullets over here. Now, this is what's, just, what's interesting about that is that both of my parents did. I, I can remember one time in all of my life that my mom ever volunteered to speak in front of people. And when she did, um, it freaked her out for like a month ahead of time. She's just like constantly putting things in notes and practicing and doing all this stuff. Granted, she enjoyed the learning process of coming up with her speech and doing the thing or whatever, but, but she hated it. She hated being in front of people. My dad, not a performer, not a guy that likes being in front of people. He likes to be behind the desk. He likes to type his thing, and then that's it. But uh, again, I can count on one hand the number of times my dad gave like a keynote speech, or he was asked to speech, speak at the Western Writers of America conference, um, which is a very interesting experience, by the way. Uh, but just didn't come naturally to him. Um, but from my earliest memories, I remember my parents saying, hey, you're good at this. You're, a, you're designed to be in front of people. You're a, you're a speaker. You're a performer. You're good at putting yourself out there and just being okay with whatever the result is. And I don't remember a time in my personal history that I've not been on stage that I've not been a performer, that I've not had something to say and either screwed it up really badly and been okay with it or said something pretty good and been okay with it. I don't remember that time. Uh, but it's interesting because I didn't necessarily get that from my parents. They just told me that's who I am. That's who you are. You're a performer and you're good at it. So you should do that some more. Um, so take that to the next step, the step further. I was adopted at three months old. I was, therefore, not genetically related to anybody in my family, right? So I didn't get that genetically from my parents. I didn't get the love of learning from my parents genetically. That didn't happen. Uh, what happened is they told me exactly who I am. You're my kid. This is what we see in you. This is what we're proud of. Go do that. Oh. Okay. That's a part of my inheritance. Their vision and their expectation for my life, their abilities and their beliefs and all of their various systems and thought processes and everything else that they have, that's part of my inheritance. And it's fortunate for me. I don't know if you've ever had this, this experience, but it's extremely fortunate for me that their abilities and beliefs and expectations and actions and thought processes and all that stuff, they're great ones. Right? Not everybody's parents had that or gave that to them, but mine did, and I am so, so blessed. You have no idea. As a side note, uh, when I was starting to try to think through my, my family history and I was starting to think through who I am and why I do the things that I do and the way that I was raised, um, I, I wept, <laughs> which was an odd experience for me because it's very strange for me to weep in general, um, unless I'm watching like a really sad movie or whatever, but the... For me to, to weep in joy, God, look who I could have been, and look who I am, and look at all of the tremendous influences that I've had all the way up until now. And I didn't have to fight for most of them, and some people have, right? So I am tremendously, tremendously blessed. I'm going to bring it around. 
John 3.17, or sorry, John 3.13 through 17, um, and I'll read it for you, but it says this. Um, this is John the Baptist, baptizes Jesus, right? I'm, I know most of you, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of you are familiar with the stories, so I'm not going to give you a ton of background on what's going on here, but uh, it comes to this little phrase, this little paragraph, and this is, to me, one of the most impactful scenes in all of Scripture. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus, answering, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What? Jesus, Son of God, goes and gets baptized and comes out of the, up out of the water, right? And if you don't see this, then I'm suggesting to you that maybe you need to exercise your imagination a little bit more. Maybe your imagination's broke, but um, maybe fix it, right? Because he comes up out of the water and the heavens open. <laughs> And the Spirit of God descends like a dove. And that's just the best explanation they can come up with for it, because who knows what it actually looks like, right? But the literal Spirit of God descends out of the heavens which have opened, and who even knows what looks like through that window, right? The Spirit of God descends on Jesus, and a voice out of the heavens And who knows how loud that was, but I'm assuming it was pretty big. I don't know. A voice out of the heaven says this. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How fascinating is that? This is is the son of God whose sole mandate is to be sacrificed for our sins. Who loves us so tremendously. And the thing that God says when he commissions him is not a commission. You notice that? It's not a command. It's an identity. The heavens opened, and, and the voice out of the heavens does not say, this is the sacrifice for your sins. This is the person that's going to change all of history. No, no, no. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. The literal voice of God speaks. And witnesses hear it. And what does the literal voice of God say to his son? This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And that's it. And everything else, everything going forward, Jesus is led into the wilderness, Jesus, to commit, uh, Jesus does all sorts of miracles, Jesus does all sorts of things, but what do they stem from? They stem from this one statement. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Grasp that. Take hold of that. This is my beloved child. And man, they're cool. They're going to do awesome things, and I believe that with everything that I have in me. I created them so that they would. But what do I have to tell them at this time? I'm pleased with you, and I love you. 
This is my kid. <laughs> it's interesting because we're in such a strange, um, fascinating societal and cultural time in our history. Uh, the majority of our population right now, if you follow any of the trends, is completely unwilling to speak identity into literally anyone else. Um, and this is not particularly new. What's, what's new about it, what uh, is the historical anomaly, is that parents are unwilling to speak identity into children. Don't need that one, good. Um, <laughs> uh, we live in a time and a society where it's, it's generally acceptable for children to say that they're their own person uh, before they come into an age of majority, which is a historical anomaly. That doesn't happen. It hasn't happened before, and we've allowed that to be acceptable, which is, which is I mean, it's fascinating. I'm not going to try to make this a political statement in, in any way, but um, this is a different and interesting time in history. Socially, economically, it's also a very interesting time. We're at a time economically where the family unit, the, the parental family unit, is more dependent on the government and on the company and on their own abilities and savings than they are on their children. And I don't know if you know this, but I study economics, and so I've seen the way that, that these things were done before. And typically, the way that the retirement plan used to function was I'm going to build something. I'm going to train my kids how to use it. Family business. Now my retirement is in your hands. I've handed it to you. Now you are a man. And that's not where we are economically anymore. We are more dependent on Social Security, we're more dependent on the 401k and the IRA than we are on our children by design, which is interesting and different. Um, and I've, I've got theories, nothing that I can say conclusively, uh, but, but one of my, my theories is that this lack of a potential inheritance for children in both realms right? We've got, we've got a, a family unit, a parental unit, largely, that is unwilling to speak an identity into their children and is unwilling to um, or has no capability to leave an inheritance, either financial or otherwise, to their children. And so what we've got is a nation, and this is not just my generation. This goes up a couple of lines, too, and down a couple of lines. We look at Gen Xers and, and millennials. We look at baby boomers even coming out of the traditionalist mindset. This is true all the way across the board. This is the nation that we live in right now. And what we've got is a nation that is largely disinherited, feels disinherited. And if there's no inheritance to be had, my assertion is that what we actually are is an orphan nation. Technically, I am an orphan. In reality, <laughs> not at all true. And again, I wept. My parents had the wherewithal and the fortitude to say, this is who you are. And not only that, they left me an inheritance. And not only that, I have the tremendous honor of managing my parents' estate for my father and making sure that he stays comfortable, the responsibility that that is. And if you need a break from something like that, again, can I suggest to you, you need to re-examine what it means to adult. What a tremendous honor. What a tremendous joy. <laughs> Along those lines, is it, any, is it any wonder that we're as stressed out as a nation as we are? We don't know who we are. 
We don't know who we belong to. Nobody told us. Or they were unwilling to tell us. And at the same time, where does that cycle break? With you. Right now. And with your children. And your children's children. Tell them who they are. So I believe that's a systemic core root issue because it flies directly in the face of God's example. Right? God's example was this. Boom. Bah. Heaven's open. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the kingdom. This is yours. And Jesus knew it. From that day forward, how could you not know it, right? The heavens opened. (laughs) And a voice declares that you are his beloved son. That's the core of our identity as Christians. That's the core of our identity as believers. You are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. Inheritors and equipped and parented daily by the Holy Spirit, looking forward to coming into the fullness of heaven is your inheritance. And anything less than that, anything less than that full inheritance, that full equipping, and that full identity as Jesus' child, as God's child, is a lie. And you have to know that. Anything less than that is a deception. God loves the mess out of you. Literally. Anything less than full inheritance is not who you are as Christians. And we see that. It's everywhere, right? Uh, Luke 20. And I'm just going to rapid fire these, but, you know, here it is. Luke 20. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Galatians 4, 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. John 8, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Romans 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And on... And on and on. I count no less than 25 times that we're referred to as the, son, as the children of God in New Testament. Directly. And then the indirect ways that he just tells us that we're inheritors. That we're the ones that, that get to come into the fullness of what he's left for us. And interestingly enough, and, and I didn't really make anything of it until it kind of came up earlier today. But if you read many of those examples, most of the way that we're referred to is not just children, but children of light. You are the children of light. Not the children of darkness. How cool is that? Seriously, this is who you are. And you have to know that. You have to grasp this core concept. If you get nothing else out of what I have to say, please grasp this. You are the child of God, the literal child of God. And everything that you do, every action that you take, every, uh, every decision you make stems from this core identity of that I am the child of God in whom he is well pleased. It all stems from that one identity. Everything else is a commission or a mandate or a law or a, or a thing that we should be doing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but who are you? You're a child of God. So, <laughs> as children of light... Um, it becomes an interesting question, especially coming from the place in history, socially and culturally, that we're coming from right now. How do we embrace it? 
especially if we're the t- coming from a place that, that hasn't been having this identity sewn over us over the last however many years of our lives. And I realize as well that in my personal upbringing, I'm something of an anomaly. My parents did a pretty darn good job, not going to lie. Hit the parental jackpot on that one, right? And even on the other side of that thing, I, the, the level of, of uh, sewing into that I get from spiritual mothers and fathers today, right? Pat and Teresa sew into me tremendously. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I should be. Tell me why I'm great. And my life stems from those things, right? How do we convince ourselves that, that we are who we are? Again, I'm a learner, so I read a lot. Um, and one of the areas that caught my attention is the actual process of, of how we learn, how we retain things, how we uh, come into being an expert at something, right? And one of the studies that I've been doing is, is studying the neurobiology of excellence, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating thing because it talks about in order to achieve excellence in something, you actually have to take the core concept of whatever that something is. And this can be anything from jumping hurdles to reading books to thinking through ideas to anything else, any core belief, anything that you think about in a lofty system and repeat it such a number of times over and over and over again that it actually moves from your frontal cortex into your animal brain. So it becomes muscle memory. To have a thing repeated over you so many times that it becomes instinctual. To repeat a thing to yourself so many times that it becomes instinctual. My son, Jonas, uh, has uh, had some issues with his legs a little bit and his core muscles. And for a while there, it was getting him down. He would actually come in and we'd be out doing a thing and he'd say, no, I'm not strong enough. Until we realized that what he was doing was he was sewing his own identity into himself. And that's not his job. That's my job. And so I started sewing into him. Jonas, no, you are strong. You're very strong. You are a strong guy. And now if you ask him, well, he'll probably be shy about it. But if you asked him today, hey, buddy, what are you? He said, he would tell you, I'm a strong guy. Because I told him so. And so does your God tell you. We get it with repetition. Over and over and over. And the studies show that. And, and we even look at, at the scripture. And this is one of the things I love to do. I love to study. I love to learn new things. And I love to learn the science behind it through the lens of faith. Which is the way it should be, by the way. You know, God gave us the instruction manual in scripture way before science caught up with it. It's there. That's how you're designed. Right? He talks about uh, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Why is meditation important? Why is soaking important? Why is reading scripture over and over and over and over important? Why is hearing the word over and over and over and over important? It's because you are taking a concept and turning it into your identity, who you are. So when somebody asks you, who are you? Bam, it's instinctual. I'm a child of God. This is who I am. What do you believe? Bam, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Holy Spirit teaches me daily. Why? Because this is who I am. And I've repeated it to myself so many times. I've had it repeated over me so many times. My parents spoke it into me. My spiritual parents, my spiritual family speak it into me. My wife speaks it into me, and I speak it into my children. As a side note, sidebar, you are tremendously blessed to have my wife teach your children two, two Sundays out of, out of the, uh, the month. She knows who they are. 
and she just loves the mess out of <laughs> Granted, I told her I'd try to keep it short because it's exhausting back there. But um, <laughs> but who are you as believers? You are children of light, You're children of God. And the next step beyond that, isn't that faithfulness? Personally, I define faith as vision, belief, action. What do, we, what do we see? What has God shown you? What do you believe is possible? And what are you doing? Stemming from those two things. Vision, belief, action. That's faith. What's faithfulness? Those things over time. The more you do those things, vision, belief, action, falling under the alignment of who you are as, as the child of God, over time, the more faithful you prove yourself to be. And the same, th- same is true for being unfaithful, right? How often do you have to cheat on your wife to be unfaithful? Just once. The faithful are consistent over time. And I believe if we have this vision, we have this belief, we have this action about who our identity is in Christ, then over time what we do is we literally change ourselves at our core. We literally allow Holy Spirit to change us at our core. And in there. Being of sound strength and mind. What's even more exceptional about this is that we do have access to the supernatural. So yes, we can actually change our mind. You can change the way you function with repetition over time. Right? But you also don't have to. Because you have Holy Spirit who will do it for you. So they say, what is it? Like, for every negative thing that you hear, you have to hear five positive things. Okay, sure, psychologically. But for every negative thing you hear, you just have to have one, one identity spoken over you by God. You shouldn't need that repetition. Because God told you who you are. And he can change you. Because we have access to the supernatural. So I'm telling you, be confident. Be confident in that. Be confident in who you are. And not just be confident, but be so confident that you're willing to, that in who you are, that you can tell somebody else who they are. Look, follow me as I follow Christ. I know exactly who I am in Jesus. I know exactly who I am in Holy Spirit. I know what he's empowered me to do and how to say it. I know my shortcomings and the ways that he's raising me up. I know the things that I should delegate because I have to and the things that I need to let go because he tells me to. And at the same time, I also know that he tells me to raise my children. Tell them who they are. Because he told me who I am. I am so confident in that. I'm so confident in who God told me I am and who my parents tell me I I am and who the influences for good have told me that I am, that I can take that same influence and put it on somebody else. And I can do so without fear or shame or any sort of withholding. Because in the end... You don't determine your identity. Someone gives it to you. And you're going to get it from somewhere. And if you allow yourself, your eyes and your ears, to obtain your identity on your own, well, I'm going to tell you, you're probably lost. But if you allow somebody, the right somebody, God, to tell you who you are, well, how cool is that? The heavens opened. 
and a voice spoke over the literal Son of God manifest on earth. And what did the voice say? What did the voice declare? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, the last thing is this, right? Um, this is actually one of the shorter things that I've, messages that I've ever given, which is kind of impressive for me. Um, the last thing is this, is that I'm going to do something that's kind of bold, right? Um, which is uh, culturally not the norm, which is this. I'm telling you right now who you are. Your identity in, in Christ as a believer is powerful. And here's your identity. You are God's children of light. Without question. Therefore, you are bold. Therefore, you are disciplers. Therefore, you are powerful. Therefore, you are prayerful. Therefore, you are inheritors. Therefore, you are givers. Therefore, you are sacrificers. Therefore, you are strong. Therefore, you are humble. And you have peace, power, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, and on and on and on. This is who you are, and I tell you that with certainty. Now, it's up to you to believe it or not. But that's the thing that we don't typically get. Nobody's willing to tell you who you are. Well, God told me who I am, so I'm willing to tell you, and I'm telling you right now. You are children of light. Two calls to action. And there should be action, right? Vision, belief, action. That's faith. Your vision and your belief, what you believe in who you are, should lead to an action, should lead to something happening. There should be the natural outcome of your belief, the natural outcome of your vision. That's your faith. The natural outcome should be two things. And one uh, is pretty simple, all things considered. Dwell on God. Dwell on Christ. Dwell on who he is. Dwell on Holy Spirit. Take that time. Those Friday nights that are happening, do that. Wednesday nights, I wish I'd... I'm going to carve out some time. Anyway, Wednesday nights, do that. In your prayer, in your closet at home, do that. Consistently. Change your mind. Let God tell you who you are over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes reflex, until it becomes instinct. That is who you are. I'm not defeated, I'm an overcomer. Who are you? I'm an overcomer. But, no, there is no but, because your instinctual answer is, I'm an overcomer. Who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of light. Over and over and over and over. That's your challenge. That's what we should be doing. That's that intimacy that we've talked about so many times before. Allowing God to speak over you over and over and over and over, consistently, 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 without fail, and change your mind. Bring to light anything that is not of light and change it. And the second thing is a little bit more difficult, but I'm asking you to do it anyway. (laughs) Speak identity over other people. Be willing with boldness to tell them who they are, especially your children. Tell them who they are, because they're going to get their identity from someplace, and they should be getting that from you. 
And they're going to get it from you regardless. And it's going to depend on what you tell them. I'm going to tell you who you are. My son and my daughter are adorable. They know it, which is kind of a problem, but... These are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased. And I know who they are. I named them specifically because I knew when they were born who they were going to be. And so it's my job to make sure that they become those people. And, and I will be, insert word here, <laughs> before I'll let somebody else tell them who they are. So that's your job. Know, know who you are, and then be so bold and so willing and so confident that you're willing to tell somebody else who they are. Because you'll be right. Let's pray. My wife is actually making noise. Hey, you need to. <laughs> Father God, I thank you. We thank you. We love you. We love you. We love you. And you loved us first. And for that, we're all so thankful. Lord, help us to know who we are, what our identity is in you as children of light, inheritors of the kingdom, stormers of the gates of hell. Help us know who we are as, as lovers of you, lovers of one another, as servants, and the servants that lead. Speak continually into who we are. Speak continually to our hearts. And remind us, remind us, remind us of who we are and help us to make that instinctual. We're yours. We are your beloved children.